when I was younger, teenage before preteen, maybe when I, one of the coolest things in Christendom was John Jacobs and the power team. How many of you have ever heard of or remember John Jacobs and the power team? These, these big, huge guys that would travel around and do school assemblies or appear at rallies or churches that came to our church in Heath and would do amazing feats of strength. They would rip, you know, the yellow pages in half with their bare hands and break baseball bats and blow up hot water bottles until they popped. <laughs> but their stick was that it wasn't their strength that was doing all of that. It was their faith in God. So they would say things like, you know, they'd get the whole crowd whipped up and Tonight, these phone books represent drug addiction, right? And then they'd all start ripping them and you'd all cheer because when they tore them in half, it meant that God was stronger than drug addiction. These 10 blocks of ice that we're about to crush, they represent, you know, Satan's influence over this community and everybody would go crazy and they would break the ice with their forearms and they'd pray, look up to heaven, smash them. And it was, it was, it was really cool when I was 12. And, <laughs> The, the, the problem with all that, among other things, is that there are literally thousands of people in the world, at least, who can do all those things without believing in or praying or even thinking about God at all. I think what they were able to accomplish might have had something to do with the fact that every single one of them could have bench pressed an African bull elephant if they wanted to. That was probably why they were able to do the things they could do. They, they could have accomplished those things without ever having prayed. Their muscles were why they could do that. The world's strongest man competition every year, or even the, uh, the the CrossFit you know tournaments now that they have, prove this all the time. At, at the end of the day, there's one thing that pleases God. One thing. One thing. That commends us to him. One thing that enables us to be forgiven of our sins and to obtain the righteousness that God requires. And it is not the works of our hands. The confusion and the problems come when we mistake the works of our hands for what does please God. Faith. When we think that what is pleasing him is what we do. Our effort, our dedication, our commitment. Right? We try to mask the fact that we're depending on ourselves for our salvation by calling our effort and our works faith. But it doesn't take faith to work to earn something. It takes work to work to earn something. The whole world knows that and lives like that whether it believes in God or not. If you want something, you work for it. But it does take faith to believe that God will keep the word of great salvation he has spoken once and for all in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our savior, if we just simply believe in him. If we believe he will do it all. That message or for all our rejection of and adjusting and tampering with it is so simple that we just can't believe it. As human beings, we are trained that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That saying works all across the world until you bump up against the simple gospel. God is fully and finally pleased with us when we believe that he exists and that he keeps his promises. That's it. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning as we come to your word again, that you would be with us, that we would remember the promise to us that the choir reminded us of that your word proclaims to us this morning would you please help me speak in such a way that it's clear would you help everyone understand these divine truths we ask and pray in the name of our lord jesus christ amen and we're in hebrews chapter 11 this morning i'll begin at verse one he says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things or evidence of things not seen. Now, one of the, one of the things that is extremely important for us to grasp when we read the Bible is that the Bible is telling us 
the things we need to know. I know that sounds very obvious, but every word of scripture, in other words, think about this, was inspired by the Holy Spirit as the words that God the Father thought we would need to know. Which, by the way, also means something about what isn't there. God obviously did not think we need to know the things that are missing. So, beloved, we have to respect the text when we come to it. These are the things that God wants his people to know. And when we come to chapter 11, we learn that God thought believers needed to know, apparently, the description and the definition of faith. Because the author almost introduces faith here as though the people don't know what it is. Like he has to define the word that he just used in 1039. You remember, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We are not free to define faith on our own. We are not free to describe what the essence of faith is on our own. That knowledge comes to us from God in the scriptures. God does that. This faith that if we have it preserves our souls so that we arrive safely in the arms of God is two things. It is assurance and it is conviction. It's the assurance that what we hope for, that we hope we have in Christ is true and it's the conviction that we will obtain it. That's what faith is. So if faith is there in a person, think about this, its primary evidence is not works. It's a rock solid assurance and conviction inside of someone about the promise of God in Christ. I'm sure that what God has promised to me in Christ for my salvation is true, and I am convinced that he will keep that promise to me even though I cannot see it. So faith is the assurance and conviction of something specific that I cannot see. Remember 2, 8, and 9 earlier in Hebrews, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him. And you think, no, we don't. We, we we don't see everything in subjection to Jesus, nor do we physically see Jesus with our eyes. So what does he mean? How do we see him? Where do we see Jesus? We see him through our assurance and conviction that he is precisely where God has placed him, at his right hand. Where, as we found throughout Hebrews... He is interceding as a sufficient, saving, eternal, indestructible high priest for us. These are things that we see by faith. Faith is the assurance and conviction that what is not visible is real. The assurance and conviction of God's promise in my heart sees what is not visible. All right, look at verse 2. For by it, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. So he frames verse 2 as the grounds for verse 1. That's why it starts with the word for. So in other words, he's saying, we know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen because by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Whatever faith is then, it works. It obtains what it hopes for and is convinced is true even though it doesn't see it because none of them did, the people of old. Chapter 11 will go on to show precisely that with numerous examples. But the important thing to note immediately in the front part of this text is that faith obtains commendation from God. All right, Through faith, as the text defines it, God accepts us, which means... At the very least, we better be really sure then about what faith is. The definition that God gives it. Because as the text will show, having this faith is the only way to please him. It's impossible to please him without it. No matter what else you would have. So this is of massive importance. Having this faith is the only way to please him. To be commended by him. Faith is related exclusively here to what commends us to God. Faith is not a mysterious force that we use to get things as we go throughout our lives. It is not for the purpose of gaining things on earth. It is for, as we will see, the expressed purpose of drawing near to God. 
So the author begins to describe what faith does to us, so to speak. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is God's means of helping us understand certain realities that are not visible to the naked eye. Faith is how God enables us to see what is actually true and real. Faith is how God unplugs us from the false ideologies and notions of truth in this world and plugs us back in to what reality actually is. And the first world-changing thing about faith that God wants us to know is that we believe in him in the first place because of his life-creating word. That's what's going on here. Listen to, ver- listen to the verse again. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's a principle that faith helps us understand. All that exists was not made out of things that are visible. They were made by the word of God. That's the foundation of faith, period. That the God who is brings things that previously did not exist into existence exclusively by his word, not by working with things that were already there. There was nothing when God created everything. He spoke it into existence. In fact, the point of the verse, that's why you see so that in the middle of it, is to tell us the reason the universe was created by the word of God and without using any raw materials is that we would know that's how what is unseen becomes seen. God creates it with his word. Immediately after defining faith as the assurance and conviction of what is not seen, He tells us that the reason God created the universe by his word was so that we would understand what faith is. The first thing faith helps us understand is explained then by tying it back to creation out of nothing. Right? It is by faith we understand the most fundamental of all Christian truth. God is the creator of the universe and he needed no raw materials to do it. He made all of it by his word. God brings into existence that which was not. And God created that way without using anything other than his word so that we would know he can do that. Why does that matter to us when it comes to faith? Because we can't create faith inside ourselves and then offer it up as a gift to God. Do you understand that? This is critical for us to know because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot create salvation with our works. We can't create faith in God by working with our willpower and some spiritual influence. We can't create that which God is pleased with. We can't do it. Faith is not our gift to God. That's not how the Bible describes it. We can only believe If God creates faith in us with that very same word. We know that already from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We just give lip service to it. We brush right over it. In that text when the faith that saves us is described as the gift of God. Not the result of works. Not the result of things that are visible. Right? Faith is not the result of things that are visible. Faith is the result of the creating word of God out of nothing. We know that from 2 Corinthians 4, 6. When Paul ties the source of our salvation to God's first spoken words in scripture. Let there be light. The text says, for the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God creating the world out of nothing but his word is a template for us to understand how we get saved so that we have the assurance and conviction necessary to endure all the way to the end. God created our faith. He will complete our faith. Jesus will very quickly in chapter 12, 1 and 2 be called what? The author and the finisher of our faith. The founder and perfecter of it. That all goes together. 
We aren't doing it. And we need to know that so that we endure depending on grace and living by faith, not walking by sight and depending on our works. We aren't doing this, beloved. He said, doesn't it say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Keep reading. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do. If for one second our faith depends on us to maintain, we will perish. We trust in the God who creates out of nothing, who gives me desire to know him when it is not natural to me to desire that, who gives me strength and hope and comfort and peace and forgiveness and righteousness. He calls them into existence by his spirit because they do not naturally exist in me. It's where my faith comes from. That's the foundation of faith. It's the first thing here. Faith is my assurance and conviction that even though I do not see the reasons or the evidence for why God would let me draw near to himself, because that's what we're talking about here, I will draw near to God because Christ secures that promise for me. Verse 3 is the first of the sentences in this chapter that begin with, by faith. Right? That's what this whole chapter is. So the verse is framed when it's at the front as foundational to understanding what faith even is. Right? Faith in verse 3 is the means of understanding that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, but by the word of God. I need to know that about my faith. I need to know that about my hope, my peace, my good works. I didn't make those things. Right? God made those things. Now watch as the author begins to cite examples of what faith, this assurance and conviction, what does it have the power to do? Because as we now understand, its source is the word of God in me. That's what makes it so powerful. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him. He keeps seeing that word. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Again, we keep seeing the word commended or one of its derivatives here because that's the point the author is trying to make. How do we please this God? It's the age-old question. It really is. How do human beings from earth please a God who apparently is so holy and sovereign and powerful that he can create things out of nothing just like he created the universe and everything that exists with his word? What pleases God? That's what the author's going after here. Why? Again, remember the context. Because this group of believers that he's writing to is starting to think that the only way to please God is by obeying the law and doing good works and returning to a safer, right, more centralized, more structured, more ritualistic system of religion. And the author is saying, listen, that's not how Abel was commended by God. Cain's younger brother, remember him from Genesis 4, right? Both brothers brought offerings to God. Genesis 4 says that God had regard for Abel and his offering But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Well, you find out why in Hebrews 11. All the way later, we often try to find the reason for why God accepted one offering and rejected the other in what they brought in their offerings. The text reveals God's reasoning for accepting one and rejecting the other was in how they brought it. Abel brought his offering by faith and God commended him as righteous. End of story. Beloved, the righteousness that God will accept can only be obtained by faith. You see what the text is doing? Right? How it's it's telling you these foundational things right at the beginning. The righteousness that God will accept can only be obtained by faith. It cannot be performed. It cannot be offered up as an offering. Apparently, Cain brought his thinking that God would accept it because of what it was. Look what I made for you. Look what I did for you. While Abel apparently brought his with the assurance and conviction that even though he could not see God, he wanted to draw near to him. 
That was the point of him bringing his offering. I want to be close to you. Abel brought an offering because he wanted God. Apparently, beloved, we can't be commended by God if we approach him to give things to him. You ever thought about that? I mean, our, our whole Christian life is defined by what we can give to him. What, what have we learned? Think about this for a minute. And I, we've used this word this morning. I, this is not an insult to anybody because I, I, I do it. I do it by nature. Okay, but think about this for a second. What do we call this? Service. What are we doing? Are we here to give to God or to receive from God? Right? That's why I try to use the word gathering all the time. Because do you know where our truth is? It's in our semantics. It's earth shattering. I don't mean my theory is earth shattering. I mean the text is earth shattering because of what it's saying. It goes against most of the notions we have about service because we don't listen. We, we don't listen to Jesus. He said the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me serve you. No. Right? I, I didn't come for your offerings. I came to offer myself up. That's not just semantics. Look, look at the end of, look, here's the, look at the end of verse four. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Yes, he does. The story of Cain is a reminder for as long as human history and the Bible exists that God will only commend those who have this thing called faith and God will always reject those who think his approval is earned by their works. I mean, that, that's the first thing the text is telling us. See that progression? You see what the author is doing? The, the first thing is that Faith is assurance and conviction about what I hope for but can't see. The second thing, more specifically, faith is my assurance and conviction that even though I don't see the reasons or the evidence for why he would let me draw near to himself, I will because Christ secures this promise for me. The third thing about faith, it is the only thing now, now that we know what it is and what it does, it's the only thing that will commend me to God. The only thing. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Enoch is in the line of Seth. So isn't it, the author's going all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis to lay out what faith is. You said, surely the church knows what faith is. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we, we just naturally know. I think we naturally think we know what it is. Because we, we define it as the world defines it, and then we try to spiritualize that and heap it on to God. Faith is something very specific in the Bible. Enoch's in the line of Seth, the son given to Adam and Eve after the murder of Abel in Genesis 5. The text says that Enoch walked with God and was not, for the Lord took him. Now, what did Enoch do that pleased God then? Well, he walked with him. Same thing as Abel. He wanted to draw near to God. So where could you find Enoch? Walking with God, right? You see that? You see that progression? We'll learn from Abraham who comes later that walking with God in this world, sojourning, is what those of faith do. What did Enoch do then that pleased God so much that God just up and took him? Well, we find out here, Enoch had faith. Enoch had faith. Even in the days before the law and Sinai, long before that, we don't even know how long before that really, he had assurance and conviction that there was a God and he wanted to draw near to him and be with him. So God just took him. I mean, you talk about commendation. God just took him. All right, fine, come up here. How do we know that about Enoch? How do we know that? That's a lot to assume, verse 6. 
and without faith. So he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, ah, that's what it was. It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, that's the goal. That's what the text is dealing with. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I didn't think we were supposed to believe that. That's very mercenary sounding to me. Right? I mean, don't we fight against that? You can't just serve God for the reward. Baloney. If you don't, you can't please him. What are we going to do now with everything we think? Do you see what the Bible does? It's no coincidence that it's in Hebrews that it tells you, look, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern both the thought and the intentions of the heart. That's what the Bible does. That's what chapter 11 is doing. It's laying us wide open. The point of Hebrews has been the whole time to show from a theological standpoint how sinners can draw near to God. The author has labored to show that the provision to do that has been made once and for all by our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God spoken in Christ. The issue standing before these believers now when it was written and before us this morning, beloved, and for every person as long as time remains, then is simply this. It is always this. Do you believe God's word that he has spoken in his son, Jesus Christ? Because there's absolutely no quality or quantity of works that will ever please this God. The works of my hands, my best efforts, my best intentions, every drop of spiritual or physical sweat will do nothing to commend me to God. Instead, those who would please God and draw near to him, well, they must believe two things. That he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Oh, awesome. I, I believe God will give me stuff. I totally believe in that. I'm all in. No. <laughs> look, look at the verse. What is the goal? Drawing near to God. That means that God is the reward. Access to God is precisely what Jesus died and rose again to give to us. He is the one. God is the one who first breathed life into us. He's our creator. We're made in his image and after his likeness. And we've been separated from him and from his rest since basically the dawn of time. Jesus came to take us back into the presence of our father. Therefore... He's made provision for our sin. He's given us the righteousness we are lacking. And now he is calling us through his word, through this message of great salvation, to come back to him. Not by working to earn the way back in, but by believing that it's all true. That God is really there. And when I come, he will reward me with rest in his presence forever. That is a better possession and an abiding one. And it's obtained completely by faith. You could do a trillion good works. Where there is not faith that Jesus is the one who accomplishes all my salvation. I cannot please God. I can't. What do you have faith in this morning? Why do you think you'll have eternal life? See this verse in the context of the whole letter. It, it takes, the text is taking all our desire to gain and secure our salvation through our obedience and saying, not only is that unnecessary because of Christ, but you'll lose your soul if you try to please God through works instead of faith. Right? You have a good week, you think God is smiling on you. You have a bad week, you think God is frowning at you. You know what your faith is in? Your works. Your performance. What you do and don't do. You think that's what determines whether or not God is pleased with you. That's a slow death. See how that line of thinking would force us to create as many rules as we can. 
Because you cannot convince Christians that rules will not help make people righteous. You can't do it. I, I would waste my time if for the next 20 minutes I tried to give you the reasons why the more rules you heap on, the less likely it is it results in belief in the gospel. But call me nuts, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to set you free. And let the Holy Spirit worry about whether or not we become righteous because I think he can do a better job than we can. God is not pleased by what we do for him. He is pleased finally forever when we throw all our confidence in that away to believe in the power and sufficiency of what Jesus has done for us. Why, why do you hammer this every Sunday? For one thing, the text does. And the goal is to preach the text, the word of God, not the, the weekly moving impulses I get on my heart. Secondly, much more importantly, when we tire of hearing this message, according to Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, where this letter started, that's the evidence that we desperately need to hear it again. Beloved, our flesh is lying to us all the time. It's lying to you right now, I guarantee it. Flesh is lying to me right now. We want to try to please God and get close to Him by working for Him. That's the way we approach all our earthly relationships, isn't it? Right? You you try to perform so people will love you. You try to hide who you are so people will love you and also not know you. Because if they know you, how could they possibly love you? Right? You see, God sees everything that you are, the worst you. The worst you is the one Jesus died for, not the one you've cleaned up. Trying to please God and get close to Him by working for Him is the way of Cain. Right? We need every week to hear about the way of Abel and Enoch. And, and of those, we talked about this last Sunday night because we're going through Genesis, right where we are right now. That line... Abel and then Seth and Enoch and all those. There are no accomplishments of them listed. Not one. There There is in the line of Cain, not in the line of Seth. There's no accomplishments listed in his line. No cultural legacy. They came in faith. They called on the name of the Lord. They walked with God. Right, Christians, what are we known in the world by? Our behavior. What we do and don't do. Right? That's how most people are thinking. That's how they see Christianity. A way of trying to earn your salvation through good behavior and by shunning bad behavior. Some of that is on them for not being willing to hear the truth. A lot of it is on us for proclaiming that as the truth. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is not a moral improvement program. I, 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 we're selling the world a rotten bill of goods because we frame the church as a place where all the cleaned up people go. Right? You're a special case if you come in here messed up. Right? You're, you're different. You're, you, the church, you know, it, it's hard for the church to accept people that don't, you know, that don't have it all together like they do. That's hard for the church to do. We are not the people of our reputation. We're, we're the people of faith. Doesn't mean our reputations don't matter. But what are we defined by? We should be defined by faith. Who are you? We're hanging on to Jesus with all that we have only because we know he's hanging on to us. That's it. Well, who is he? What did he do? Now we can tell you the story that matters. It's, what what do they do? What what are they all about? Wouldn't it be great if, if the running opinion of what the church was is well they they believe God they believe that there's a God that he they and they try to walk with him or something they they believe that Jesus this Jesus is God's son who like forgives them of all their sin and makes them right with God again because of the cross and they believe apparently that he like rose from the dead or something and saves you if you just believe in him you don't have to do anything. Beloved, that would be great. Because that's the story. Not our works, not our image, not our success, not our failure. Only Jesus. But, but I mean, is, is that really what 
the world sees us as. I, I think the world sees us mainly. Don't get upset here, all right? I just think it's mainly, yeah, um, uh, they don't drink, and I think they're all Republicans. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, right? that's basically what it is. That's not a statement about any of those things. Okay? We're not talking what the sermon's about today. But I'm telling you, I, I, if you, as you listen to, you listen to the world, you listen to the media and culture and you talk to people. I mean, that's what, that's why when we're around unbelievers, like there's some crazy class, like I'm, I hate it when people, this is going to sound really weird. Let me rephrase that. I strongly dislike it when people find out in a setting with strangers that I'm a pastor. Cause you know what? Everything changes. I'm not ashamed of being a pastor. That's not what I mean. What I mean is this. Um, you know, cuss word, cuss word, drink, cuss word. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh man, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Right? That's why do, listen, why do they think, I think the part of it is probably the inherent sense of guilt that we all have. And we, we see Pat, I understand that culturally the pastor's kind of, you know, not so much today, but there was a time where he was a, Kind of a holy man. I understand that. I'm not really knocking that. I'm saying that what is the thinking that my presence means like, like you can't, you can't do those things. Why would they think that? Because they attach moral virtue to closeness to God. They're not the same thing. In fact, listen, we give this lip service so badly. Some of the most moral men that ever existed hated our Savior. Why do we try through our rules and our all these these mystifications that we have to be like them? What are we doing? They hated our Lord. They conspired against him. They nailed him to a tree. Why do we want to be like them? Where was Jesus when he was here? It's not just a nice concept for books and our imaginations. Where was he when he was here? He was not with them and they hated him for it. Because he hadn't come to cure those who weren't sick. Which is not saying there are people in the world that aren't sick. There's a difference between people that know they need Jesus and that think they don't. And Jesus will always be found around the ones that think they don't. Where will the church be found? Because we're his body. Are we where the head is? We aren't the good news. Jesus is the good news. The gospel is the good news. Listen to the text. Listen to what God is trying to say to us, to his people this morning. Look at verse 7. We'll close in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. So again, faith is always linked to what is not seen. Not what is visible. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear. So, look look at that real quick. Simple faith leads to the reverent fear of God. Not rules. Not works. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world. That is, divided the world into two categories. Those who have faith that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him and those who don't. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There's what the text is driving at. The only righteousness that God will accept is the righteous and perfect obedience of Jesus Christ while he walked this earth for us which is credited to our account as though it is our performance when we simply have faith in him. That's it. That's what we're about. The righteousness that comes by faith is granted to us. It's imputed to us when we believe in Christ, when our assurance and conviction all rest in him and in him alone. Jesus hadn't died yet when Noah built the ark. Right. Exactly. He couldn't see his salvation yet. Now he saw the ark. 
which was God painting a picture for him of salvation. But Noah believed that God existed and that God was going to reward him for wanting to draw near to him rather than make a home for himself in this world. And by that faith, that's what that was, he became an heir of the righteousness that Jesus finally granted when he rose again to all who have ever had that faith in him in this world. Remember, the promise was made in the Bible for a new covenant. Jesus had to die to release its effects. Noah was an heir of those effects. Noah was a son of God. So God counts this thing called faith as righteousness. Now, we find that out now. Isn't that amazing? That is counted as righteousness. What is righteous? Well, apparently to believe God and take him at his word is righteous enough to save. Isn't that something? That's what pleases God. I mean, what if, if we looked at it as a composite, what did those of old, like you said in verse 2, like Abel, Enoch, Noah, what exactly did they do to receive their commendation from God? They did verse 6, plain and simple. That's what they did. And according to verse 7, that is what saves. What is the righteousness that comes by faith? It's believing God and taking him at his word. God calls that. God has always called that righteous. What Jesus has done is the substance of my hope. And even though I can't see it right now, I know he will keep his promise. Right? That assurance and conviction about Jesus, that's the righteousness that we obtain, that is granted to us, that God accepts by faith. What was Noah's reward that he got for believing that God existed and that God rewards those who seek him? What was his reward? The righteousness that comes by faith, which is what saves Noah, through that, was taken where? Ushered back into the presence of God. See, But immediately following the flood, though, this great man of faith was so drunk that his son did something that apparently was so wicked, his son got cursed. Yeah, but you know what Noah had? The righteousness that comes by faith. So you know where Noah is right now? Despite his rampant drunkenness oh he's in the presence of God forever that's the story of the Bible scoundrels who have this thing called faith that God makes his own children that should be the title of my biography if you ever write it (laughs) don't do something else with your time (laughs) but that would be about right right the Bible is just beautiful Noah became an heir of what Christ would grant To all who have faith in God. That's the text. What pleases God when we believe that he exists. And to be specific grants eternal salvation to those who seek him. God is fully and finally pleased with us. Fully and finally pleased with us. Struggling husband. Struggling dad. Struggling mom. Struggling wife. Struggling minor. Struggling financial service provider, struggling student, struggling child, struggling widow, struggling widower, and every single one that I have missed, God is fully and finally pleased with you when you believe that he exists and that he keeps his promises. How in the world can drawing near to God be so simple of a thing to do? Right? I mean, come on. It's God. Right? We, we would get nervous, very nervous, to meet the President of the United States even if we didn't like him. Right? It would be very nerve-wracking of a thing to stand in the presence of the President of the United States. How can it be That the God who creates out of nothing says, you believe that I'm here and you believe that I keep my word? You're my child and I'm proud to call you my own forever. How can it be that that's all he requires? Faith in his son to be our savior. To forgive us of all of our sins. To give us all his righteousness. How can that be? Because God is big enough 
to not need anything else. The fact that God accepts faith alone is a statement about how self-sufficient God is as a savior. Have you ever thought about that? He doesn't need anything from you to save you. Why? What can we give to him? He's God. He literally looked. There was nothing. And he spoke and it was there. What are we going to give him? My goodness. Lord, I have had a really decent three or four days of not succumbing to my worst temptations. Here, let's put it on a fire and offer it up to you. Thanks. Right, I, I, I can look to my right and see my son. Right, it, it, God is so much different than a big, grumpy, hard-to-satisfy tyrant who rules over what he has made with a resentful iron fist. Every image we've ever had in our heads of the perfect father, he is that times a million exponentially. He made us. And he's made all the provision necessary to bring us back to him and his rest, even though we're rebels to our core. He makes things out of nothing. He doesn't need our good behavior or our best intentions. He doesn't need anything from us to justify and accept us. The gospel is not God demanding that we do our part to make it right. That's not what the gospel is. And that's not what your life is after he's granted you salvation. God doesn't say to you what Captain said to the soldiers in Saving Private Ryan when he was dying. Earn this. It's a beautiful movie and a beautiful concept in war. But that's not Jesus talking to you. Dying and rising from the dead. Jesus is not saying, now listen, you earn this every day. Jesus is saying, I earned it. Live in it. He wants us to draw near to him. So he's done the only thing that will provide that without turning it into a business deal where we all work to earn his favor. He saves by faith. Faith, faith is a mist. It has nothing in it, right? It's, it's just assurance and conviction. You have assurance and conviction about me. God says, I save you. You're mine. Just take me at my word. Beloved, that's all God is saying to you this morning. Just take me at my word. I need nothing from you. I've done it all. Believe it and be saved. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You remember when Jesus said that? He meant it. Faith is to get you and I back home. It's, it's, it's not, again, it's not a mysterious force that helped me get, helps me get all the things I'd want, whether or not I ever knew Jesus. It's not like, oh, now that I'm a Christian, I have God to help me get all this stuff that I'd want, whether I knew him or not. No, 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 no. Faith, faith isn't getting all the evidence for something and then moving. We have so much Christianese when it comes to faith. We, we all wait for open doors, right? You know, I wanted to, wanted to see the, the path laid out in front of me so I knew where to go and I wanted to see this and see that. I wanted to see the open door. Yeah, that's, that's not faith. <laughs> Right? That's not faith. That's sight. Now that I see, I can move. No, faith is, I, I can't see. But I can see you. And I know you love me. So I'll take this step. Right? Faith is moving without the evidence. Not getting all the evidence and then moving. So walk with God. Walk with God and your steps will always be secure. There's no home in this world for you and I. There's nowhere to settle. We're never meant to feel like, oh, this is, this is what I live for. We aren't supposed to say that till we get on the other side of the Jordan. Don't say it here. Don't say it here. Faith is not for surviving the world. Faith is for pleasing God. It's, it's, faith is not to survive the world that God is going to destroy no matter how much we do to clean it up. Faith is for pleasing God. So what he's arguing for here precisely is that they would believe what he's been telling them. That that's all that he's really saying. That they can draw near to God now. And faith is how that's done. Assurance and conviction that what he's told them is true is how they draw near to God. Right? Not by working, not by doing. 
assurance and conviction that what he's told them about Jesus is true. That's how they draw near to God. And it's still how we draw near to God. So this morning we close with this. Do you want to please God? Do you want to do that? Then believe that he exists. And that he grants the reward of eternal salvation in his presence to all who seek him in this world. That's it. If you don't know him at all, you've never walked with him. Today's the day. This is the moment. Forgive me of all my sins, Lord Jesus. I believe in you. That you died and rose from the dead for me. Take me as I am. Save me. Keep me. I believe in you. Beloved, it's done. And it's the same for every Christian in this room this morning. As you will, Lord, and as you know, have mercy on me. The front will be open. If any of you need to come and pray for any reason, or if you want to join our church, if you've believed on Jesus and desire to be baptized, to show a picture of what he's done for you, we can talk about that too. All right, the front will be open. Let's pray and then we'll sing and be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is perfect in every way. And I ask that you would give us the grace to believe every sentence of it. I ask and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much. Remember, we do gather again tonight at 630, so you're more than welcome to join us. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the work that he has done. Lord, give us the gift of faith. We ask of you, Father, with all that we are, to trust in him for all things until the end, each and every single one of us. We ask these things in his very name. Amen.